Father, we first, as I've said a couple of times this morning, we give you thanks that we live in such a great place, a great country compared to the rest of the world. We live in a palatial estate. And Father, I would ask that you would first comfort if they still haven't received it. Comfort those who are left behind from those who died in the tragedy of the Twin Towers and the Islamic Jihad that has been declared on this country. I pray that they would find a a sense of strength knowing that you are the God who is just and fair. You are the one who will repay the evil that has been perpetrated upon us. But Father, we also pray that we would not continue in evil ourselves that we would turn and that your hand of blessing and protection would be upon us and that there would not be these massive attacks coming through and there would be steps taken to stop the advance of this jihad which has come to the shores of our country. We also want to pray, Lord, for uh, uh, the kids that maybe didn't even know their parents, uh, that they may feel lost uh, as they get older. Maybe someone did not remarry. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would be their father even at this late date and those who are in their 20s now and uh, even in their 30s that are still having a sense of loss. uh, We pray for their comfort. But Lord, we thank you that you have had us recover uh, to some degree and we ask that you would strengthen us as we continue to look to you. And Lord, also, we wish you would bless the word as it goes forth, that you would have your desired effect in our hearts and that we would be excited about what lies ahead even though there are perilous times. Help us to keep our hope focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are currently in the book of Exodus and in the book of Exodus in chapter 25 it deals with the building of the tabernacle. Now as you know, all the Israelites have gone out of Egypt. They've traveled this long distance They have come to the base of Mount Sinai. They have set up 12 pillars. Moses has gone up with over 70 from the nation of Israel to a certain point. And then Moses was called up a little later, a little higher with Aaron. And Aaron was to wait while Moses went into the cloud. Once we get up into the chapters in the 30s, we will see that the people rebelled because Moses was so long in coming back. He was away for 40 days. But this idea of Israel becoming a nation and establishing the tabernacle was huge. This is where they actually were solidified as a nation. They had direction. God was leading them. There was no president. There was no king. It was God who would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to the priest and to the elders, and the elders would go to the people, and the priest would intercede to God for the people as well. And so you had this two-way communication going on. If there were difficulties that the elders could not handle, then they would go to the supreme leader, which would be Moses for the people. But Moses would always take his direction from God. So God was the one that was in control. Now, years ago, Patty and I, we left for Israel and we went to Israel. And when we are on our way, it happened to be the year of Jubilee. Now, we've already been through the year of Jubilee and what that means. All the land that has been sold to other family members or other tribes during the time that people became indebted after 50 years passes, after the 49th year, the 50th year year comes. At that time, all the land reverts to the original owners. And that was called the year Jubilee. And it's a time of celebration. And the Jews, they just go wild during that particular year. And they're supposed to let the land lay fallow. And people are supposed to be a blessing to one another during that time. 
And the people of Israel are just simply supposed to rejoice. Now, when we started, we went to New York first, and there was a big celebration in Central Park that we went to over there, and they were just thrilled. And they, you know, they let anybody in, uh, and we got in, and it was like this amphitheater. They were singing, and they were rejoicing, and, you know, they had the hats on and the black coats, and that's just one sect of the Hasidic Jews. There are several different sects if you go to Israel, and they wear these funky outfits. I mean, you'd have to see them. fur hats that are just like out to here and the men wear white leotards and little slippers like ballet slippers that have little um, puffy balls on the end. You're going, what is with that? And you see them walking towards the Western Wall. And so we got to Israel and the first night we were in Israel, in Jerusalem, we decided to go over to the Western Wall from our hotel. Patty and I, we walked over there and it was just it was wild. It was so wild there. I explained to a couple on the people on the worship team this morning that when we went there, we showed up and there were lights everywhere on the western wall. It was just all lit up. And you'd see the men's quarter up there of the wall on the left-hand side and the women's quarter on the right. And then on the left is this building and it has the bathroom. It has the entrance that goes to this tunnel that goes along the temple itself. And you see the foundation stones that weigh 300 tons at the bottom. And you can take a tour and go through there. And there's a colonnade as you pass it. And that's the colonnade that Jesus would have entered from and it's down below the ground now and it's like jade or this green marble that's there it's just it's beautiful the way that that must have been set up at the time but when we got there we walked into that quarter and we looked up on the roof on the left hand side and there was this band playing and there's this giant menorah that was up there and there are blue lights and white lights everywhere because that's the color of the flag of Israel and I looked up there and the first thing that I took notice of was this Hasidic Jew he had this black hat on with his black rim he had a white shirt with his sleeves rolled up he had the prayer tassels coming down on his side he had the black pants on and he had this bass guitar and it was down here and he was he was just rocking and the rest of it they had electric guitar that was going on there and they're they're singing like these jewish songs that we sang but they were singing it in hebrew and all the men all the men had their arms up on each other and it was a big circle and you could get in the circle and they're going back and forth like this you know and they're just having a great time a celebration and then you had the women over on the other side and the women were doing the same thing and then when the song would end you know what the women would do they'd start doing that thing and i just wild and then there'd be people up at the wall and they're praying like this you know they they do their thing up there and they put the prayers in the wall and you could tell the year jubilee was just this celebration now this type of celebration i'm sure took place after this tabernacle was built the people had a goal that they had to reach now they had an interruption when Moses came down, destroyed the tablets, the people were in idolatry and all of that, but they got on track. And in chapter 25, you see where all of these pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, come together. And Moses is to ask the people for things like gold, silver, fine linen, precious stones, all this stuff. And as we go through the book of Exodus, you'll see that they were bringing so much that they had to stop. They just had to say, hey, stop bringing your stuff. We got enough. There's nowhere to store it. They had taken the wealth of Egypt with them. 
And they were carrying it. Each one was carrying it. And so they brought, the people were excited after the problems they had gone through. They were excited and they were going to build this. So what I'm going to do is today I'm just going to describe the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle, and what it's all about. Uh, And next week I'll probably get into the symbolism of what it means. Now, first of all, the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, it wasn't much. You'd look at it and you go, that's it. Pretty big God you serve. You know, he can make you a tent and you can go worship him in this tent. This tent had boundaries on it, borders. And the front border was 75 feet across. In the back, it was 75 feet. And the sides, it was 150 feet down the sides. The actual temple itself was 15 feet wide. This room is 40 feet wide right here. So 15 feet might be this stage right here from this edge to this edge. Then that was divided up. 30 feet, the first 30 feet was called the holy place. The last 15 feet was called the holy of holies. So the holy of holies was just a little bit smaller than this stage area up here. And then the next 30 feet would have been almost towards the doors because this room is 40 by 40. And so you get an idea. The temple or the tabernacle could have fit inside of this room. That's how big it was. And then it was ornate on the inside, but on the outside, it wasn't anything to look at. And as we'll see, the way that it was set up, there was furnishings on the inside as you walked into the temple you would see the candlestick that would be on the left and by the way the way that the temple was shown declare uh, here it is we have it right here this was facing east now this is in the valley of Timnah. i've been here to this particular place these pictures are taken off the internet this is a mock-up of what the temple or excuse me the tabernacle would have looked like and the door of that it faces east and there are three gates that somebody has to go to go through to get to the holy of holies now there would be three encampments three tribes on each side of this structure this tent that was out there in the wilderness and so these sides were 150 feet the front was 75 feet and the very front would have been about 25 to 30 feet that would have been made of linen blue purple and scarlet yarn and that would have been the gate to go in you could not get into it any other way you had to go through the front the next thing you go to here is the altar and that's where the sacrifices were made then you have the brazen laver which you are supposed to as a priest you're supposed to watch yourself before you go inside the tabernacle area once you got in the tabernacle area to the left hand side or to the south you would see this golden candlestick that was there and the golden candlestick was probably it it weighed about a hundred pounds and so off the ground it was probably four and a half feet maybe five feet somewhere in there depending they don't know exactly how it looked and in front of you you would have this altar of incense that was made and this thing was of gold and i'll show you some pictures of that and then on the right hand side you had this table to show bread then you had this curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies and you could walk right in there and once you got in there you had the mercy seat of god which is the lid of the ark of the covenant and you had the ark of the covenant there and it was completely dark on the inside the only thing that you would see on the inside if you walked in there was the candlestick and that's what provided the light and then the priest once a year on Yom Kippur he would be walking inside and he would put blood sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood of the sacrifice that was made there and so this is where they worshiped and you got some kind of idea of the size so I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 25 
And in chapter 5, verse 1, or 25, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Now, and that's the way it's supposed to be today. You give because your heart is prompted to give. The Lord has placed it there and you're responding. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, the hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense and ox onx stones and other gems to be mounted in the ephod and the breastplate. Now, when it comes to these sea cows, some people say, well, it wasn't sea cows, it was badger skins. And some people say, no, it couldn't be badger skins because badgers were an unclean animal and it was probably dolphin skin. So we don't know exactly what kind of skin it was but it was a skin of an animal that was actually the covering, the outer covering of the tabernacle area. And you had four different coverings. First, you had this fine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and that's what you would have seen. If you would have walked in and looked up, you would have seen blue, purple, and scarlet yarn all woven in these long sheets about, I think it's 42 or 45 feet that would go over, and they'd be six feet wide, and they would sew all these things together. And the Jews, they would tear this down and they would put it back up on top of that you had goat hair dyed black and it was woven into some material and on top of that then you would have the ram skin dyed red and on top of that you would have the skins now each one of those means something if you look at the tabernacle it points to christ and we'll get into that as we continue but there's so much here with the setting up of the tabernacle itself i don't want you to miss that going on then have them make a sanctuary for me and i will dwell among them make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern i will show you and the reason this was the case is because there is a tabernacle in heaven and this looks just like it now you might say that's it that's where the mercy seat of god is in heaven we don't know what it looks like in heaven as far as is it the same size of the same material is it bigger is it more glorious is it miles big we we don't know anything in comparison it's just a copy is all we know it's similar to this and why there would be an altar there and the laver and the candlestick on the inside I, i don't know but god says it's a copy of what is there so the furnishings of the tabernacle verse 10 have them make a chest of acacia wood Two and a half cubits long. And by the way, some people say this was the finest cedar. But acacia wood over there, this particular tree, it is ubiquitous. And so it's probably acacia wood. We don't know. We'll never find out until the Lord returns. But that's immaterial right now. A cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. So this box is about three and three quarters feet by two and a half feet. And it's not very big. You know, this is going to be the ark. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make the gold molding around it. Cast four rings for it and fasten them to the four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Now, I don't know about you, but if you make a box and you put rings on it, you want to put the rings at the top because it makes it more stable if you're to carry it with poles. Now, this is one picture of the Ark of the Covenant, and this is not what it actually looks like, but I like this representation because there are several pictures 
of the wings of these cherubim that are up there and they point up. There's a lot of these that are made that the wings just go straight across and that is incorrect according to the scripture. What's the next? Here's the next one. Now this is one that was probably some big event in Israel, but this gives you an idea and the poles may have been a little shorter, a little longer. We don't know, but the poles also, as they go through, they're in the wrong place. They're supposed to be at the bottom. And when they're at the bottom, it makes it more difficult to carry. It's a burden. It's the law of the Lord, and it's a burden to carry. And that thing would be top-heavy. The lid of this thing is made out of solid gold. Now, try to lift that lid made out of solid gold. And so this thing, man, if you drop this thing, and you couldn't put it on a cart. That's a whole nother story. God smited some, smote someone that uh, attempted to ride it when it was on a cart. And they were to carry this thing. So they had to make sure their foot was stable as they were carrying it. And four men, this would be tough to carry, including the entire tabernacle once it was broken down. Going on, it says in verse 13, Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. Then put... And the Ark of the Testimony, which I will give you. Now, we will eventually get to this, but inside of this Ark is supposed to be the two tablets that Moses had restored to him by God that had the Ten Commandments on it. It would be like a piece of flagstone or just cut stone. And it was actually the finger of God, the writing of God that's on there. And then also you had Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod was a stick that budded. And it butted, it was just a stick. And it, I have a walking stick at home that I've used for travels in the, the high Sierras. And if that thing butted, that would be a miracle. Well, that's what Aaron had. He had this thing and it butted. And that was a miracle for the people. And they put that inside of this ark. And there's one other thing that is inside that ark. You guys know what it is? What is it? Manna. Manna means what is it? That's what's in, it's inside of a jar. And so those three things are in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you go to Israel and you go to the Temple Institute, at the end of the message today, we might get to the picture. It shows the priest in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And it's a picture from the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute has made everything for a temple. Now, there are a bunch of um, politically and theologically liberal people that run this institute. But they're thinking, hey, it would be great to have this one day. And they have it all. They have made it. And I've mentioned to the, uh, you guys this before. If you go to the Temple Institute in Israel and you sit there and you watch the videos and there's a very stoic rabbi that stands up there and he has this big white beard and a white hat in the video and he's asked the question, so where's the Ark of the Covenant? He goes, anybody who's anybody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. So they know where this thing is. And they're not going to bring it out until this temple gets built. And we already know from Scripture, it's going to be built. It's just a matter of timing. And who's going to allow it to be built? It's going to be the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to come up. He's going to make a treaty between the Muslims who control the Temple Mount and also the Jews. And there's going to be a cordon off section and the outer courts have been given to the Gentiles. And it's, it's all prophecy that's taken place. They have made all of this stuff. And they say they know where the Ark of the Covenant is. They probably know where the lampstand is. They probably know where the altar of incense is. They have all of this stuff hidden somewhere, but it hasn't been brought out as to where this thing is. So we have those two pictures of the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 17 
says, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubims hammered, excuse me, out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherubim on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking towards the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will meet with you and will give you all my commands for the Israelites. Now remember this covering, this top is called the mercy seat of God. But you will not see a chair that's up there. That is just the top of what it is called. Now going on here, the table of showbread. This is also called the table of the bread of presence. Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. It's about three feet uh, long by one and a half feet wide by two and a half feet high is the way that this looks. Could you have that, uh, John, that picture of the table? Maybe you do. If you can find that, you can throw that up there. Overlay it with pure gold and make gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim, a hand breadth about three inches wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be closed to the rim to hold the poles used to carry the table. Make the posts of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and carry the table with them. And make the plates and the dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for pouring out offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. So there is to be fresh bread. Now, this is the altar of incense that's here. This is not the... Uh, bread of the presence. Now, I'll just explain what this is. This is where the priest would go in and he would offer incense. This is actually an oven is what this is. There would be coals or charcoal in there that they would light. And those four corners, I don't know if you can see it up there, but there's little red paint on the four corners called the horns. That's where the priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood. He would touch blood to the horns, the four horns, making atonement for the people and also for the priest. And so they would come in there with some incense that they would manufacture and they'd throw it on there. And that was to be burning constantly before the Lord, just like the candlestick was to be lit constantly before the Lord. John, the table of showbread, it will have loaves on it if you can find it in there. I'm sorry I didn't get with you on that. It, sh- it actually shows uh, 12 loaves of bread and two little cups. Uh, that are there. Yeah, you can see it on the right-hand side here. Uh, this is the table of showbread. Now, this particular mock-up is the same one that's in the Valley of Timnah. You would walk into this and you would say, this is the temple or the tabernacle of God. This is the place where God dwells. And by the way, the floor, you see that floor? It's just gravel. And it was supposed to be just dirt. You were not supposed to have any finished stone in there whatsoever. It was just dirt. So you walked in there. You see this dirt. You see the candlestick towards the left. You see the altar of incense right in front of you. The rope wouldn't be there. That was just so people wouldn't come uh, and touch Aaron. He's the one in the back. And he has a turban on the top. And he has a blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And he also has the breastplate that's on the front of his chest there. And then the one on the left, the white one, that would have been Aaron's son. Because they were supposed to, Aaron's son, 
sons were supposed to wear this particular garment, especially when they were being dedicating or when they were dedicating themselves to the service of the Lord. And then over on the right, you had the table of showbread. And there were 12 loaves that were to constantly be maintained there. And remember, it was David that was hungered with his men. And they went inside and they got the bread. The showbread is what it's called. And they ate of it, which is unlawful for anyone to do but the priests. And so you walk in and this is what you see. And the only light in there would be the light from the candlestick, which is on the left. Okay, so you got a picture of what this looks like. And remember, this is only 15 feet wide. This isn't very wide. Now, going on. The lampstand. Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft, like its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, the second bud under the second pair, and the third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Now, on this particular picture that's coming up next, this is the one, John, where the priest is standing behind and it shows the upper portion of the lampstand. It doesn't show the actual stick on the end. You don't have it. I know it's in there in the first. Now, now this is the altar of incense as well. This is another picture of the altar of incense. Uh, and it, you can see how uh, some of these are depicted with rings on the corners rather than on the sides where it would be carried almost in a triangular shape. And this is a more fancy one that is made. The candlestick, John, that you're looking for, it looks like... Let me see if I can help you out here. It looks like this. Can you see that picture? You see that? Okay, this is what the priest would be doing. The priest would be filling these cups with the oil to allow it to keep on burning. Now, during the Maccabean revolt, these cups had oil only enough for one day, and it lasted miraculously for eight days, and that's what they do in the celebration of Hanukkah, is they remember that these lights... I got that right, right? Hanukkah, they remember that these lights, uh, it, it lasted, the Maccabean revolt. No, wait, was it Purim or was it Hanukkah? Thank you. I was getting a little confused there. My mind is getting older. So that's, that's what the candlestick looked like. And do you all get a, a view of what that was? I know my little screen is small here. And also, verse 38, it says, let me go back, verse 37. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that the light in the space in front of it, its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold, a talent about, actually it's 75 pounds. Some people say it's 75 pounds. Some people say it's 100 pounds of pure gold and is to be used for a lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern I will show you on the lampstand. Now these, there is some meaning to this as well. 
For instance, there are seven candlesticks, and some people say that that represents the sevenfold spirit of God. That is in the Old Testament and also in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, it says, From the throne came flashings of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And so it is representative of what is in heaven again. So this is what the people would see, especially the priests when they would go minister. Then you have the curtains. This is in chapter 26. Make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And each one of those colors has a meaning. Going on with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long by four cubits wide. If you don't know what a cubit is, a cubit is from the elbow to the tip of the finger. It's about 18 inches. And so whoever it was, now we are all have we different sizes in our arms, but that's kind of what they would do. So they go one cubit, two cubits, three cubits, and that's, that's how they had figured out. They didn't carry a measuring tape with them. And it's about 42 feet by six feet is how these curtains are to be made. You join five curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain on the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end of the other set with the loops opposite each other and make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. And so these curtains would cover, that would be the first covering that would go over the tabernacle itself. And John, do you have the picture of the mock-up? Of the, there we go. This is a, a little model, a little scale model. If you can see the first colors, it's mostly red right there. That's actually blue, purple, and scarlet. And like I said, if you walked in and the lamp was lit, you would look up, you'd see the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and somebody had woven those things together, and you would see cherubim woven into that. And so that's what you would see when you would walk inside. Now, this is the outside. Go back to the other picture, if you would, John. Uh, the next covering there, and this isn't shown quite right. You have the goat hair. This is the white one. It's actually black, according to Scripture. Now, there is meaning behind that, and we'll get to the meaning this next week. And you're going to want to be here for that because it's, it's pretty exciting. This is actually Christ is what this is supposed to be. This represents Christ. And God hid all of this inside of the tabernacle, and the people who were there, they didn't see it. They didn't know. But we look back and we go, God set that up. He knew that we would see it in the future. Anyhow, we'll get on to what the goat hair dyed black means. And then you have the skin, the ram skin dyed red. Now, anything that's red, you're going, I think I know what that might mean. But you're going to have to wait to next week to see what that might mean. And then you have the skins, whether they're badger skins. Now, I could see them being badger skins. But some people say, no, it can't be badger skins because that animal is unclean. Right? But there's something to that, which I'll explain next time we're together. But these skins were over the top. Now, I am going to give you a little hint. When you looked at the tabernacle in the wilderness, you said, well, that is nothing to look. That looks terrible. What is that? Have you ever seen a chamois? You guys know what a chamois is, right? Imagine a chamois that's outside all the time. What's it going to look like? You're just going to go, that thing is worthless, you know, and it kind of gets encrusted a little bit, and it doesn't really, for those of you who don't know what a chamois is, a chamois usually is sheepskin, and you can buy it at an auto parts store, 
and it is actually the skin of a sheep and you throw it onto the car when you wash it and you screed off the water. It soaks it up. It's great. When I was growing up, my dad had several of them and he'd say, go wash the vehicles. And we'd have to pull the chamois out and that's how we wiped it off. We didn't use towels. We used a chamois. Now they have artificial chamois. They sell them for backpackers. They sell them for anybody. But that's what it was. So you can imagine an animal skin, skins that are sewn together. And imagine how many skins they had to sew together. I mean, this is... You know, you have these things 42 feet long by 6 feet wide, and there's several of them all sewn together. And so you had to kill a lot of animals to get this thing operational over the tent. It protected it from the elements, which was out there. The reason that that particular covering is on this tabernacle, it makes the tabernacle nothing to look at. When you looked at Christ when he was here, he was nothing to look at. And the book of Isaiah talks about that, that there is nothing that would make us desire him, that he looked like a Hollywood actor that stands there like this, you know, kind of like me, stands there like that. And he, he looks like, that's a leader, you know, head and shoulders. He's probably six foot tall and he's the most handsome man that was ever born. You would look at Jesus and he wouldn't have a white robe on and everybody else has the dull colored robes on. It, it wasn't like that. Jesus in his time, it was a sin pretty much culturally to have long hair. Jesus did not have long hair. He probably had hair. Yeah, about that long. And then he had a beard. That's what he had. And he wore no more clothes like everybody else. And you wouldn't look twice at him. He'd be walking down the street and go, that's it. The creator of the universe. That is the Messiah. Well, he's not to look at. You know, and I'm sure that played into part of the Jews reasoning too. Like, who is this guy? You know, he's nothing. He's just this carpenter. Probably a little skinny. Probably a little scrawny. You know, their diet was different from ours back then, and everybody was probably thin, and he wouldn't have been too muscular, just nothing to look at. And so that's the purpose of the skin on the outside. And we'll get to what the other ones are later. Going on. Make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red, verse 14, and over that covering a hide of sea cows. Verse 15, make upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame is to be 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. That means about 28 inches wide and 15 feet high. With two projections set parallel to each other. Make all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. Make 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle and make 40 silver bases to go under them. Two bases for each frame one under each projection. For the other side, the side of the north of the tabernacle, make 20 frames and the 40 silver bases. Two under each frame, make six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle, and make two frames for the corner of the far end. And these two corners, they must have double from the bottom all the way up to the top and fitted with a single ring both shall be like that. So there will be eight frames and 16 silver bases under each frame. Now you start reading this and you go, okay, I'm just reading a set of plans here of what this is supposed to look like. But what it transfers into, John, I'd like you to bring up the tabernacle where the, the tent comes over the side at an angle, the picture you previously showed, and it showed the walls. Now there you go. 
That's what it would have looked like. Now, this undercovering blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and the cherubims, that's not exactly how it would have looked. That's just a depiction. And so on the left-hand side here, these are the panels that were made of acacia wood, and they were overlaid with gold. And you're supposed to put these rings in there, and you're supposed to shove these shafts in there to where you have a portable sanctuary. Because the Israelites, if the Shekinah glory in it was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, and it would be right over the Holy of Holies. And if you were out somewhere with one of the tribes you're visiting, no matter where you were, you could come out of a tent, you'd look up, and you'd always know where the tabernacle was because there was one to three million people. You would look at the tabernacle because you would see the column of smoke or fire, and it actually provided light for the Israelites at night. And this is what the outside looked like. Now, they have the cement, um, I don't know, buttresses at the bottom to hold these gold plates. And those aren't gold. They're just spray-painted gold. Could you imagine if that was gold in the wilderness? How long would that last? Could you imagine if the uh, lampstand was gold inside of this thing? And so everything is painted gold that's supposed to be gold, but that's how they had put it together. And all the Israelites, the Levites, were in charge of breaking this thing down and putting it together and traveling wherever they needed to. As long as the Lord was leading them, they would have to pick it up, tear it down, and put it back up. Uh, verse 26, also make crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frame on the side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, five for the frames at the west and at the far end of the tabernacle. The center crossbar is to extend from the end at the middle of the frames, overlay the frames with gold, and make gold rings to hold the crossbars. Also overlay the crossbars with gold. So everything was gold, but it was covered with this sea cow or badger skin. We don't know which it is. Verse 30, Set up the tabernacle according to the plan. I'll show you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with the cherub, cherubim worked into, the, into it by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood, overlay with gold, and standing on the four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasp and place the ark of the testimony between the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. And so Everything that you have seen, can you bring up the picture inside the tabernacle again? When you walked inside, God just spelled out for them how this is supposed to be set up. And again, it's you look at it and everything's just gold and it's on a dirt floor and you have gold sides that are on this thing. You have blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Then you have the goat hair dyed black. Then you have the ram skin dyed red. Then you have the badger skin. And you have these ropes coming down and these gold rings everywhere. Then you have the perimeter at 75 feet in front and back and 150 feet on either side. And you have a gate that's 25 feet or so, and the gate is just linen. It's just blowing in the wind. And the next gate you come to is the one that goes into the holy place. And that's the same thing, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And it's just a curtain that's hanging down. You go to the next one, the holy of holies, it's just a curtain hanging down. And so this is the tabernacle. But God said, I'm going to come live there. And so he's living with the people for 40 years. That's his room in there. He, that's where God is. Yeah, he's right in there. Now, do we know that God really doesn't dwell in a room that's 15 by 15? We know that. God is everywhere. He just had his glory there. Now, again, once a year, the priest would go in there and Yom Kippur, and he would sprinkle uh, the mercy seat that was in there. But if they did it wrong, there's this line of reasoning that has come up before. 
the part of the uh, placement of the robes and everything that would be on the robes, they would put these bells and they'd be little pomegranates on the bottom of the robe all the way around. And it is said that when they would go into the temple and they administer before the Lord in the temple, that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the priest. Because if he went in there and he did so in an unworthy manner, the bells would stop ringing as he was ministering. He would die. Who's going to go in and get him? No one. And so they would, okay, man, it wasn't your day, was it? You know, they pull him back out. It is said that that's the case. I don't know if we can verify that or not, if that's uh, true. But they say that that's what happened because the priest was the only one that could go in there unless it was time to break it down. And I know that they had a cover for the ark that they made, and it was probably the high priest that would go in and cover it, and then the Levites would break it all down, and it was the job of the Levites. And they probably left up the outer curtain, the outer court. They probably left that up until everything on the inside was covered and broken down so people wouldn't look upon it. I mean, this was some holy stuff that they were dealing with here, and they didn't treat it lightly because they were judged if they did so. Even the sons of Aaron got judged for... um, lighting some incense and bringing it before the Lord and the Lord called it strange fire and he smote him because of it verse 36 for the entrance of the tent of meeting make a curtain of blue purple and scarlet yarn and finally twisted linen the work of an embroiderer make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them now this is going into the holy of holies in the temple that was built during the time of Christ it, it was very tall extremely tall And this curtain was made for that particular temple. And it is said that when a curtain would get old, because the curtains would get old, they wouldn't destroy it. They would add to the outside. They would put curtains on the outside, on both sides of whatever they made to preserve the old curtains that were in there. And this was done for hundreds of years. And so you have this curtain that is, they say, Some say it was about six inches thick at the time of Christ. Now, have you guys, remember um, there was this guy that, for those of who remember, Mission Impossible, there was the big, strong guy. What was his name? Anybody remember his name? I remember him on one program as a kid. They wanted to know if he could tear a phone book in half. And he grabbed the phone book and he actually tore it in half with great difficulty. You guys know what a phone book is? Uh, he tore the phone book in half. It was like the yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages? They ended up getting like three inches thick, right? And he just grabbed that thing and he put it on one knee and he started to tear and he actually got through it. Now imagine a curtain that is six inches thick. If that way, and it's going to be thick. Maybe it's not six inches, but it's going to be thick. And it's made of some beautiful material. And it was made by an embroiderer. So, you know, embroidery, if you do embroidery, how thick does it make the material? It's like twice or three times as thick. When Jesus was crucified, when he said it is finished and he died, it is said in Scripture that that veil that covered the Holy of Holies ripped from top to bottom right through God in other words said I'm going to make a way for everybody to have access to the father to God so to speak and that's what happened in this particular case 
The only person that had access was the high priest. Now, with that, we're coming to the end of the hour here. I'm not going to get into chapter 27. We will get into these other furnishings of the temple and the outside, or the tabernacle on the outside. We actually have access to God. We are his children. In this particular case, the Jews, they were of the family of God, but they weren't treated like us. We are the bride of Christ. We are the children of God. We have access. That's how we can call God our Father, Abba, which means Daddy. Now, my dad grew up in Oklahoma. And my grandmother raised him on a farm in Oklahoma. And you know what you called everybody? Mama and Daddy. That's what you called them. And I called my dad, who was a buff Marine, Daddy. I called him Daddy until the day that he died. That was the name that we were to call him. And it was a term of endearment. I didn't walk up to my father and say, Father, will you grant me permission to take the keys for the car today? I, it wasn't like that. I'd say, Daddy, can I have the car? And he'd go, yeah, here you go. You got gas money? You know, he'd give us gas money, that type of thing. And so I had a familial relationship with him. I had a close relationship where I could talk to him about anything. And that's what we have with God our Father now. Back then, that wasn't the case. One guy could go in and intercede. One guy could talk to God face to face, and that was Moses. But we have that privilege now. If you know him, if you don't know him, you don't have that access. Imagine talking to the God of the universe face to face, so to speak. And not only that, but he says, I'll live in you. You mean God inside of me? Yeah, God's in you. No, where? Where? Is he in the heart? Is he in the lungs? Where is he exactly? See, this is spiritually speaking. If you have the Father, he lives in you. He puts his spirit in you, and he guides you, and he directs you. And if you haven't heard the voice of God, and I'm not saying like, bing, Noah, you know, that type of thing. It's... He directs you. You know it's him. He's the one bearing witness to the fact that you may be saved. But if you don't have that, you are lost like a ship on the sea with no sail and no rudder. There is no hope for an individual like that. God grants us the presence of a spirit inside, but we have to ask him for it. We have to ask him to fill us with his spirit. And, of course, I think most of us in here know how to do that. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you are ever in doubt about that, say it. You say, God, I believe. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And if you mean it sincerely, he will answer your problem or answer your problem of not being saved. He will answer your lack of salvation. He will save you. He will bring you to a point where you will see the tabernacle in heaven. You will be there. And I'm telling you, when we get there, it's going to be a party. Heaven is depicted as loud. It is just loud. And our ears will be able to handle it without going deaf. Right, Buzz? Oh, see, he didn't hear. So that this idea, this idea that God allows us access to him is just fantastic. My prayer for you is that you do not go from this place not asking him to save you. 
It's going to be a time of rejoicing. It's going to be a time of lifting up our hands and singing and dancing. It's going to be even more so than the Jews that we witnessed over in Israel when Patty and I went there. It is going to be a fantastic time. And we're going to look at each other like, you're here. You're here. I can't believe you made it too. And we're going to be surprised about who makes it up there because it's the grace of God. So again, my prayer for you is that you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You just simply say, Jesus, save me. He knows what that means. But you have to call out to him. Let's pray. Father, anyone who is in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would call upon you and they would say amen to your entreatment, to your wanting them, Lord, for your kingdom to be your bride. Father, this only happens because you make it possible. And it began with the setting up of the tabernacle in the wilderness. So help us to rejoice over this fact, Lord. Help us to rejoice and have joy in our salvation, even though the world around us may be crumbling and our health may be taking a turn for the worst and our finances may not be doing well. We know we have an inheritance that will not go away, will not fade, and will last forever. And our inheritance, we know, is Jesus himself. And we thank you, Lord for his sacrifice to make this possible. And it's in his name we pray these things. And everyone said...